0: This is The Shift Podcast.
1: The Shift Daily Podcast today, we learn how to live with COVID. What's next? Which numbers matter today? What do the numbers in the future look like? And what's some perspective and insight from Dr. Jason Kinderchuk? What should we pay attention to? It Help me, I think it will help you too. Steve Stebbing tells us what the hell should we watch this weekend? The much-anticipated sequel for Space Jam is here. Also, Gunpowder Milkshake and the final part of Netflix Fear Street franchise. I will not watch it; too scary. Are you okay with Lego? It's pretty clear. Brian's okay with Lego. All of this and more. It is time for us to get into. Are you okay? Are you okay with Lego? Huh. I wonder what Ryan's answer will be.
0: Today, I sold one of my all-time favorite Lego sets, and I genuinely, genuinely felt a piece of my heart leave my body. What so, was the yes. set? Uh, so there's, it's it's from Star Wars, of course. There's these big gunships. They're They're like the clones flew in, and I had one but Lego announced the new and improved one. That's like three times bigger and three times more expensive. So obviously I need to get the new one. So I sold my old one, but I've had that old one for a long time, but I sold it to a very nice lady who was so when I, when I walked up the stairs with it in my hands, she was jumping and I was like, okay, it's cool. I'm glad you're taking it. So yeah, I'm okay with Lego. I had no idea.
1: Are you okay?
0: Are you okay with Lego
1: guns? Pew, pew.
0: Well, that's a loaded question. If you ask me, (laughs) because Lego makes (laughs) little stud shooters. You put a little Lego brick in and your minifigures can shoot them. And then they have like the models for Star Wars. That's fine. But like building a gun out of Lego, that's weird and kind of not. I I don't know. That's kind of weird. I wouldn't build a gun out of Lego. All
1: right. So let's set the scene here. Uh, This is a story out of America. So let's use American info. Millions of Americans love guns and millions more buy them. In 2021, sales are skyrocketing of guns. Here's a report from CBS
2: News. Sales at Fuquay Gun & Gold in North Carolina have been non-stop since the pandemic started. Every time a stimulus check hits, the lines go around the corner. Owner Clay Osley says this is the busiest he's been in his 17 years of selling firearms. There's a tremendous amount of people still buying firearms for home defense uh, this year. Also a ton of interest in concealed carry classes and in concealed carry firearms this year. Maria Lerio says she wants one for self-defense after seeing the past year of unrest and recent mass shootings.
3: I have a child. You know, I just I feel like I need to protect myself. Gun stores nationwide are seeing an
2: increase in customers. The FBI says there were almost 16 million background checks for firearm purchases during the first four months of this year. That's a 31 percent increase compared to the same time in 2020. Clearly,
1: there's a market People want to have guns, they have a right to buy guns, they go buy guns. And that's why they can do that. But there's a little bit here that gets concerning. I mean, gun companies are all competing for that market. It's legal, they're allowed to buy them, they follow the rules, and people do buy them. This one, though, Mm. gun company Culper Precision has stopped selling a new pistol that was customized with brightly colored brick pieces after toymaker oh. lego issued the company a cease and desist letter it's a custom glock you've heard of glock
0: yeah the glock except it's again. called block 19. oh my god all cu-
1: oh, right. <laughs> it's a customized semi-automatic glock firearm covered with red yellow and blue lego-like pieces on the barrel in the grip it looks like lego giving the full functionality of the weapon the appearance that it's a toy. Culper, based in Provo, Utah, introduced the Lego-style gun last week. On Wednesday, Danish toy maker Lego said in a statement that it asked Culper to stop selling the Block 19. We have contacted the company. They have agreed to remove the product from their website and not make or sell anything like this in the future, Lego said. I'm guessing Lego is the bigger of the companies flexing the lawyer muscles there.
0: Uh, yeah. And also Lego has often fought for the identity that they will never sell a product that openly that is openly violent, you know, the guns, tanks, a lot of people want them to do like World War Two models. They'll never do that, except they did a World War One fighter plane a long time ago. But other than that, they always fight for that idea, identity of a kid's toy. So I'm not surprised they went after him. But I am surprised somebody went, you know it would be really cool? If we put a gun that had a bunch of uncomfortable studs on the grip. And if you drop it and step on it, it yeah. will hurt you just as much as if you accidentally shot yourself with it.
1: Yeah, Well, at least it feels that way. That's for sure. Um, it looks like a toy gun. And look, I'm not anti-gun. But I am most certainly keep guns out of the hands of kids. And this one is so much looking like a toy. You literally could, I would guess, walk into somewhere and somebody would be like, oh, it's just Lego and not take it seriously. So no, I'm not okay with that. Are you okay? This one's very dark, <laughs> everything we've got going on and are you okay? Are you okay with flowers? Simple. I like flowers. Yeah,
0: flowers are cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, okay are you okay with coffins
0: oh um, well would you ever get in one no no I feel like that's bad luck I feel like there's no if you step into a coffin before you're supposed to be in a coffin I just know unless it was like for a comedy sketch or something but yeah no
1: too many movies man of the coffins rolling into the, the, the incinerator
3: Oh. Yeah.
1: And someone inside? Ah,
3: let me out. Oh no. No. No, I guess now I wouldn't. I was gonna say, like, there's things like coffin races and stuff. Maybe for yeah, that, I would cool. get in a coffin <laughs> for a coffin race. That seems like it'd be fun.
1: Well, a coffin with no top, maybe. Well, this is a creative use of a of a coffin, I guess. Despite what you think, coffins can be multi purpose. They are preferred bed for
2: vampires. I like to hang out with other vampires, and I like the company. Awaken! Awakey, wakey! I just really like having a good time with my friends. Speaking. He Hi. Hey, he speaking. <laughs> How was your
3: night
0: last night?
3: I transformed into a dog and had sex.
0: Cool. What is that from? <laughs> it's from What We Do in the Shadows, which is a like a fake documentary about vampires living in a flat together in New Zealand. It's one of my favorite uh, movies. Yeah, It's a great movie. Well,
1: Coffin's not only for vampires. Turns out they can also be used for a flow bed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we were doing so well. I oh. Hit
1: the were button. we really, though? No. That's a typo. Oh. Thank you. Turns out they can also be used
0: for a flower
1: bed in Saint Catharines, Ontario, where I used to live and Brennan is from. Yeah, I know that place, Garden City. Yeah. Uh, one home, uh, one homeowner is being allowed to keep her front and backyard coffin flower beds despite a complaint made by another city restaurant. Restaurant <laughs> <laughs> resident, <laughs> mail it in Friday. <laughs> A horror fan Christina Cadbur Calberry, whose favorite genre is the classic Universal Studios monsters like the creature from the Black Lagoon, says the coffins were purchased online last month through Facebook Marketplace. I showed my boyfriend, she said. And he's like, Oh, that's pretty cool. As she described the purchase of their first coffin for two hundred dollars. He's like, What would you want to do with it? And I was like, make it into a flow bed. Just kidding. Flower bed. Alex Pearson spoke with Christina from AM 640 Toronto, and according to her, the complaint was made by a neighbor.
3: And, uh, you know, the letter basically said, hopefully you get it done. And that was basically it. But they didn't cite the subtitle to this, this infraction. Like they just said, it was a waste bylaw infraction. That was it. But. Doing extensive research and having plenty of people through social media and people I know, they all looked into it as well and nobody could find anything that was even remotely close to what we had going on here. So it was kind of, I feel like it was almost like this a waste of the time, mainly for the city, to be completely honest with you.
1: After calls to the city, her local MPP and the mayor, as well as starting a petition on change.org, she was given a call on Wednesday from the city of St. Catharines saying, all clear to keep the coffins. I love St. Catharines.
3: Yeah, me it's too. one of my favorite places. I bet you she used to come to my goth night. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> More than oh, likely.
0: Dude, she totally did.
1: You mean she used to come to your goth night like Ryan's parents used to come to my DJ night when they first met and Ryan was conceived in Red Deer?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like that.
1: All right. Um, Okay, now I got to get ready here. That's something. Ready? All right. Are you okay?
0: Are you okay with sharks? to look at they're kind of cool i mean Mm -hmm. that how they work i always found it neat that sharks always have to move they can't stop or they'll die really yeah because they breathe by moving like even when they sleep their body naturally just keeps moving that's how the you know the water moving through keeps them alive Mm -hmm. so sharks are cool i don't have the need to meet one though Yeah, Dr. Jason Kiddershock says that he feels
1: more like a great white shark than he does a herd animal in our last hour right here on the shift
2: Yeah, I don't want to meet a shark either.
0: I know
3: it's in the back of my mind when I you know go in the water um, on a southern coast like when I go visit my mom in Florida You know, I I just don't want to see that fin Popping up when you're on the beach You mean you weren't a shark trainer at some point in your life? No, we didn't have any sharks they actually discussed getting sharks, but most of the staff was like, no, that's not. All right.
1: Uh, it's no secret uh, that Australia
0: Australia, Australia... Australia!
1: We love Australia.
0: That was great. My country don't share no borders, because of all the waters that surround us. But us are the sauces <laughs> of our wealthy land <laughs> Don't, Don't touch them up Don't try to find the capital or fight the animals You're on your road. Just drive from town to paradise And you'll see why we call Australia home
1: We love Australia. It's no secret that Australia is home to some terrifying creatures. In fact, all of the terrifying creatures, including great white sharks and so many more. In fact, a man was killed by one a few months ago. Here's more from Nine News.
0: As waves crashed beneath blue skies, a commotion on the sands of Tun Curry, a group of surfers surrounding their mate, pulled from the ocean
2: after being attacked by a shark. They lifted him up, um, probably in about way deep water, and lifted him up and he had uh, horrific injuries.
0: Carried from the beach with paramedics still attempting resuscitation, the tourist in his 50s losing blood and in cardiac arrest.
3: He was a surfer um, with, uh, with three of his mates and I'm sure the initial response was from his three mates. Drone spotting
0: two great white sharks this afternoon circling near where the victim had been surfing
2: three hours north of Sydney. It's believed that um, when the attack occurred the man did actually see the shark and called out to try and warn others.
0: Other surfers, including an off-duty guard, rushing to help the rescue. Locals shocked but not surprised by the shark.
3: My daughter would go surfing all the time at Tunkari and for the past six months she's like too scared to go out there because there's been so many sharks that she's given up surfing.
1: Well, that's very scary, isn't it? The Australian government wants to shift the narrative surrounding sharks, though. According to Nine News, officials in Australia are describing shark attacks now as interactions or negative encounters as part of a new strategy for helping the animals to be more understood. Multiple scientists have argued that terms like attack and bite have created a culture of fear around the animals, which is harming efforts to help protect them. One of the reasons why they are very fearful is because they often attack and bite people. Leonardo Guida, a shark researcher at the Australian Marine Conservation (laughs) Society, told the Sydney Morning Herald that ending the use of such terms helps dispel inherent assumptions that sharks are ravenous, mindless, man-eating monsters, except for when they're quite man-eating. In New South Wales, officials have changed the way they describe human encounters with sharks that result in injuries. Eight people were killed in shark-related incidents in Australia last year. Dr. Guida said moving away from the term attack helps improve the public's understanding of the sharks and how they behave. Are you any less afraid of sharks if they call it a uh, shark encounter?
0: Uh, No. No. Um, but I understand why they're doing this. It makes it silly, but I, it makes sense because sharks are, I mean, they don't even like the taste of humans. Fun fact. They think we're disgusting. They kind of just, I'm hungry. It's in front of me. It's like when you see McDonald's, that has been sitting out on the counter all night and you just kind of give up on it and eat it.
1: And I'm assuming that, that a shark just emailed that info in. Like, how does that happen? Uh, science ah (laughs) all right i'm curious as to what that science is i i think that you know what doesn't make the news what hey i met a nice shark today and nothing happened it's true i'm not i'm not okay with this i am okay with this though
0: straight Thank you. I think we need to keep that as the Australia button. Anytime that glorious, monstrous nation is brought up Mm -hmm. that we love so much, we need to pay homage. This is the Shift Podcast.
1: It was probably a year ago, which is also hard to believe, or even more maybe, where I was on uh, on the phone with Jason Kinderchuk. And a year later, I get to call him a pal because we get to talk so often. Um, And we were talking about hospitalizations and such. And and now that we're in this land of 40 new new cases a day scenario, things are looking good. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk, how are you?
2: i'm doing good and and listen shane i will say right up front that i've talked to you probably more than i've talked to close friends (laughs) over the past year which which may say a lot about me but uh (laughs) no it's we've we've had a lot of conversation
1: we have had a lot although you probably should stop working so much that's probably another thing we should talk about (laughs) um so your um you know your background with viruses in general you've uh Dealt with being sort of the face of this a lot in the media, in conversations looking for insight. And there was one thing that you know we've had a lot of friendly chats. We've chatted about music and your love affair for Molly Crew. Um, we've chatted about viruses, and and one of the things that's really stuck with me was the conversation we had about a year ago about hospitalizations. And Ryan and I were just chatting, sort of. Well, should we do a bit of a roundup on COVID? well, what are the COVID cases at? Now the t- the day, was like 33 or something in Alberta, which I keep on my phone. I refresh it every day after three o'clock, double check the numbers, make sure everything's still, you know, looking decent. And I said mm. to him, I said, you know what, Jason said, that hospitalizations really were the key number because that's what everyone's going to look at. Can the health system handle it? Here we are a year later, Jason, and I, I sort of came to the notion that maybe we're starting to definitely go about this the wrong way. Now that things are somewhat contained, and maybe that's the wrong word, so if you prefer a different phrase, uh, please help me out.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're in a, a weird position right now, right? So um, Canada has certainly done amazingly as far as our, our global vaccination numbers. Um, you know, we, we've seen a, a real decline in transmission across uh, many areas, certainly the province I'm sitting in, in Manitoba. We've seen uh, cases rampantly drop down. We're, we're below 4% now in, in Winnipeg for test positivity rates. Still a little bit of stress in the healthcare system, but things are going the right way. Then you look across other areas of the globe, and you see those real steep precipitous inclines of of cases. And you know we we have to look at this, I think, with a, a little bit of a, an open lens, because there's one aspect where we know hospitalizations always lag behind. So we are likely going to see some of that. But we also know that the you know kind of the playing field that we're on is is very different in many areas of the world because of vaccination. So now it's this time of trying to figure out in areas that have had high vaccination rates, what is that threshold of cases that, that is actually comfortable? And how does that you know, change as compared to what we saw before and where do hospitalizations start to kind of tick up? And, and I think that's where we're in a little bit of gray area right now. It, it certainly is a learning period.
1: So, OK, just to recap that, you know, covid cases say it's the first of the month couple people get sick by the 15th of the month you start to see the people who are sick check into hospitals uh, yep. that's pre- pretty two weeks has kind of been the timeline rough estimate 10, ten days to two weeks is is that is that a fair understanding of of the way things have gone to this point
2: i think so again the, you know the, the position we're in is that delta so certainly you know the, the last variants of concern when we saw alpha beta and gamma roll through and specifically alpha that changed things a little bit right it seemed like people were It's getting sick faster, and certainly we were seeing transmission occurring at at a faster rate than what we saw with the prior circulating strain. Delta has changed that even more, right? So those transmission numbers, now in that short period of time, you certainly have a much wider swath of people getting sick or getting infected. Hospitalizations are still a bit of gray area, and again, it goes back to this idea that when we look at certainly the Israeli data, where we've seen some drop in, in effectiveness of the vaccines and people got really concerned, like well, 63%, what does this mean? Well, that's symptomatic disease. For severe disease, we're still seeing really good protection. So I think the nature of the pandemic is certainly changing. And that's where now you see this you know, kind of increased focus on people that have not been vaccinated to, to any degree at all. That's where if we're going to see an increase in hospitalizations, it's likely going to be in those communities. So how do we get those communities protected?
1: Uh, apparently in Alberta, you just give away stuff. Um, <laughs> that's what they're—they're they're offering some winter ski yeah. packages or something now. Um, well, I guess whatever works. Um, the going to the—I mean, has this—is this always? Because you did the Ebola stuff. You've spent tons of time in Africa. Is that really what this boils down to? Is about protecting healthcare systems versus letting people get sick? And I guess that maybe I'm simplifying the whole dangerously ill versus hey i'm sick
2: yeah you know it's it's such a weird kind of position right so certainly there's an aspect of this which is um you know how severe illness are we seeing from the variants and specifically in those you know those unvaccinated communities do we have uh you know higher risk setting where people are predominantly going to show up with more severe disease ultimately um you know if the healthcare system can manage it then it continues to be manageable, right? Because we have to think about this beyond just COVID that we have to think about communicable and non-communicable diseases and other people that need to get treatment. Can we still provide protection for those people and at least care for those people? With people with COVID, the limitation is still that, listen, when when you look at the the idea of just them getting hospitalized, um, there's that aspect of, okay, have they gotten in the hospital? Yes, no. But then you have to think about the long-term care as well and whether or not they they are able to recover quickly and how long they require uh, any additional care within the hospital. And that's where we're getting, we're in a bit of gray area because of the fact we don't have really good frontline therapeutics, right? So we have corticosteroids for people that are severely ill, but we don't have good therapeutics for, for those people that first come to the hospital that are sick. And that's where we get in this position of saying, like, we have people that are going in that take a lot of time in hospital beds to recover. And that, again, limits the system so that as more people are getting sick, now it gets more difficult to bring people in. And now you lose that ability to to actually care for people. And, of course, then you have people that are sick in the community that are now spreading it beyond uh, you know themselves and, and to, uh, to other community members.
1: Okay, so going forward, say 50%, 55% of people are successfully, completely received their vaccinations at this yeah. point um you know call it pick a number doesn't matter we're as an example 50 percent. you know is that the should we be worried about tracking covid cases anymore versus tracking how many people are going in the hospital
2: yeah you know i think part of it is trying to understand what the trends are saying right so i don't think we have that specific idea yet of saying okay now with this rate of vaccination what what is the trend of cases versus the onslaught of hospitalizations that tends to lag behind? And how, first of all, how long of a period is there in that lag? And how great of hospitalizations do we see based on the case number? So I think we still have to track it for now. Now, you know, that being said, in, in a year's time, that may change. But we also have to track cases because we still have to also sequence to look for variants, and that's part of this whole puzzle. Is that, listen, the virus has been changing. And that's made things a lot more complicated because you're not just looking at SARS-CoV-2 anymore. Now you're looking to see if there's any changes within the genome. And then, you know, is there any concomitant changes in in the way that it behaves? So it, it's very, very complex. And I, I think it's going to get a little bit easier, um, but it's not going to go over way overnight, uh, unfortunately.
1: Okay, so too soon to let go of case numbers is kind of what I hear. Um, hospitalizations does matter and probably yeah. is going to matter more so in the future as identifiers of sort of the the things are at. Is, is that a safe conclusion?
2: I think so, Shane. I mean, I think one of the things we have to keep, you know, have an appreciation of, and I think one of the optimistic things we can look at is that even if case numbers increase, if hospitalizations don't increase, what does that tell us? It tells us the vaccines are actually working very well. And that in itself is actually a good lesson for us to have, to get an idea of what does the effectiveness of these vaccines look like in the Canadian population, in the Manitoba population, in the subsets of our population. It gives us and provides us data that you know gives us context to give back to the public, gives us transparency to be able to say this is how well the vaccines have been working and why we need to get more people vaccinated. So I think that there's an importance in in certainly continuing to look at at all the pieces of the data we can. Well, that's interesting that you
1: say that because you often hear and, and it's sort of just anecdotal and some of it's kind of cliche, but when you go get your vaccine and the nurse might say to you, Well, if you get some side effects, that's good, because that's your body responding to everything that's being done. And you know, I mean, it's not a scientific look, but you know, it, it's reasonable and people kind of connect to that. So it's interesting when you say that, you know, if our case numbers get stronger, but our hospitalizations stay down with vaccinated people, then that leads you to believe that, you know, that really things are truly working.
2: Well, there, you know, and there's, there's the aspect of what are the vaccines meant to do, right? So when we went through the initial clinical trials, the vaccines, the, the real end point was to see, can we cut down severe disease? And the vaccines did an amazing job. Certainly, the mRNA vaccines blew those trials out of the water. The second part was this idea of infectivity, which we didn't really know until we started to see vaccines going on in the real world. How well do the vaccines protect you from getting infected from the virus establishing an infection? We're getting some data, and certainly the vaccines look like they're doing a decent job of that. Um, but we also know that as the variants start to emerge and as they have emerged, we may see people that are still able to get infected. and That's not that overly surprising. The bigger question is, do they get symptomatic disease and are they able to transmit? So, you know, as we reopen things up and as people are going out in the community, we're going to have more people that are exposed to a virus that is still present in the community. So undoubtedly cases will increase. Over time, it's a question of is the test positive rate rising? Is it staying at a certain threshold? Is it decreasing? And what's happening with with hospitalizations development? So So, uh, you know, this is why I'm not smart enough to be an epidemiologist because the, the data is very very complex to, to follow and and it's changing in real time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like when the conversations about contact tracing and and all that history stuff you kind of get how important it really would have been in the beginning to be right. And how important it was last yeah. summer to get, I mean, remember the story in Alberta where they were short, so many tracers, they basically had lost track of the fire. If you would, uh, the, like the, the forest fire was out of control at that point. Yeah. Um, so you kind of get that, how you, not only do you lose track of all the people today, but you actually end up with a gap in time where you can't figure out where the, where the noodle begins and where it ends.
2: Well, and there's this piece of, of SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 that, that we don't tend to talk a lot about, but it's this idea that so this is not Ebola, where if somebody gets infected and they absolutely are getting sick, whether they live or die. For SARS-CoV-2, the person that gets infected, if they have mild symptoms, trying to discern that they have mild symptoms is not necessarily easy, right? Because we don't have a quote-unquote, you know, COVID-19 specific uh, response that somebody's going to have. So if somebody has a mildly irritated throat, is that allergies? Is it something else? Does it go away really quickly? Do they notice that there's an uptick or a change in their health? And that's that's one of the aspects that's been very difficult for us. I think that we're more aware now. But in 2020, and certainly early 2020, I think it's difficult to say to people, you know, any change in your wellness, you need to identify and report because that's. It's a very, very subjective view, and, and it's uh, certainly very difficult to try and discern in a lot of cases.
1: Well, people with allergies can relate to that. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely.
1: So is there any other example in the world that, that something like this has gone on, vaccinations, vaccinations have happened? And then they've had to monitor how it's all working. Has there been any other disease like this that could be looked at for, I mean, I was, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking about your time in Africa and, you know, all these communities that don't have real health support systems where basically you just can, nobody can come or go for now and just in this community, but that one over there, they're good, right? Like, so is there any other examples that we can look, look to in this case with partial vaccinations?
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, we're you know we we certainly see it. I mean, influenza is probably one of the easiest ones, right? Because when we look at partial vaccinations and we look at this idea of you know being below the herd immunity threshold, we're well below the herd immunity threshold every year, right? I mean, I think our targets for Canada are about eighty percent. So if if we could do for influenza each year what we're doing right now with COVID it would be a complete change, I think, in our healthcare system. Uh, for for, you know, how kind of overloaded it is with, with patients during that period of time. But certainly you look at the influenza data on a yearly basis and they're monitoring cases and they're monitoring um, you know, different regions and looking at transmission patterns, all of this stuff is, is inherently important because again it's these are diseases that put a lot of people in hospitals and early identification is important.
1: If you could be a part of any herd in the world though. I'm not sure humans are great with being called herds. If you had to pick a herd of animals, Jason Kinderchuck, what would you pick? Oh man, uh, it's a good question. It could be a uh, you know what, it I, could be a gaggle of geese, or you know what I mean. It could be a murder. Yeah, of crows. listen, I
2: I I, uh, I I'm a pretty big uh, introvert at uh, at the best of times, right? So no, listen, I've, I've got a I've got a you know kind of partiality to, to great white sharks, and there's a reason. It's they are on their own. They do their thing. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it's a it's it's a wild time, right? And I think it's the thing for us right now to appreciate is that there are people right now that that are doing everything they can to learn data in real time um, about a virus that we didn't know about prior to the start of twenty twenty. Um, I think we're doing a, an amazing job across the globe, but we have a lot to learn and this is not going to change overnight. We're, we're going to be doing this for years to figure out what, what this virus is and, and how it works and what it does.
1: Let me tap into your inner nerd here.
2: The, okay. Uh
1: the, I've always said, people have said, well, when do you think this is over? And after my experience with you, I yeah. said, when the virus people start to travel again, That's how I'll know (laughs) when things they feel like things are, um, you know, are workable. Yeah. Um, so for the virus, people like you, what does it look like, uh, you know, to get back to Africa and start dealing with some of these other (sighs) ailments and illness that are out there?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Right. So we were talking about that this week just in the, in the household, because I'm really itching to get back to, to Sierra Leone. We we've got, Ongoing work there with our Ebola virus disease survivor cohorts and, and with all the colleagues and, and participants there, um, they're in a rough spot. West Africa cases are tipping up. We've seen in South Africa, they're going through a really hard wave right now. They have about like five percent or thereabouts in terms of uh, double vaccinations or fully vaccinated people. Um, I think it's going to take a bit. Right. I, I'm, I'm happy to go because I, I've got both my vaccine doses and I have faith in the vaccines. A bigger part is going to be whether or not countries are allowing people to travel to areas where there's ongoing transmission. And I think that's going to be a bigger question, but we have to. We, you know, uh, the unfortunate reality is that all of the other infectious diseases did not stop because COVID-19 took over. Whether you're looking at HIV, TB, uh, measles in DRC, monkeypox in DRC, Ebola through, you know, through Central and West Africa, Um we have to be able to provide care for for those patients uh, and and for those communities. So uh, we we need to do whatever we can to get there as as fast as we can.
1: Well, and there's um so many places in the world where you there's required vaccines in order to go there. Two yeah. years ago, before this all started, so nobody should be surprised if that's still a thing when this is all done.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I I've, I carry a yellow card. For my uh, yellow fever vaccine, uh, whenever I travel to Africa for that specific reason. Um, I think for COVID 19, certainly until we get the rest of the world and, and certainly the resource limited areas uh, immunized, um, or at least the vaccination programs fully running, there's going to be some some heavy requirements for, for quite a few years.
1: Dr. Jason Kinderchuk, as always, my friend, appreciate it.
2: Always a pleasure, Shane.
0: It's the Shift Podcast.
1: What the hell should we watch this weekend? Ah, oh, Steve Stebbing is back. Hello, Steve.
3: Hello, Shane. How are you? Good. How are you hanging in there with all the smoke? It is smoky. Like, this morning, uh, I thought, oh, the smoke had dissipated quite a bit and everything. And then by the time I got off my day job, I was like, it is freaking smoky. Like, it smells... Like, you can smell, like, that campfire smell, like, seeping into our, our building. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's ugly. It's super ugly.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully everybody's okay. I know that the uh, yeah. we've got an awful lot of people that are, are on standby, if not uh, mm-hmm. out of their homes. So, okay. Uh, Steve is in Penticton, by the way, in the middle of uh, yes. the BC interior. So here uh, is the list of things from stevestebing.ca and some of the shows we should watch, including... Our very own shift head. Eric Bowser. <laughs> and Space Jam, a new legacy. What is this?
3: <gasps> I'm a cartoon? Meh. What's up, Doc? Come on in, right,
1: baby, ride. I need to assemble an elite team to help give my son back.
3: I know what you're looking for. So shoot, baby! Shoot. A dream team. Mom, yeah. shoot the ball. Try that again, shall
1: we? I'm sorry. My son has just walked in and decided that he's going to sleep outside on the patio. Well, it's live radio, working from home. There you go. Off you go. There we go. <laughs> anyway, my apologies. Uh, it's not a big place. What can I say? It's a townhouse we live in. It gets crowded. Okay, Space Jam, a new legacy. Yes. Steve Stebbing, what's it about?
3: Uh Basically, this is uh, LeBron. James taking a shot at uh, the Michael Jordan type uh, movie jump, uh, except he's actually done a couple of movies before this, so he's got some experience on him. But uh, I mean, gets sucked into the Looney Tunes world, has to play basketball for with uh, Bugs Bunny and the crew, and it's funny. I actually introduced my daughter to the original Space Jam tonight because they just sent me the 4K, which I'll probably bring to a future geek out here, um, but. I think the movie still kind of holds up, so I'm kind of excited for a new legacy. I'm not expecting a whole lot. Uh, I do see a lot of Warner Brothers IP in the trailer, so that's going to be really cool to kind of pick stuff out of the background, Uh, but I'm not expecting like a huge A-list movie here. I'm just expecting fun
1: a lot of good fun. Eric Bauza is mm-hmm. the voice of Bugs Bunny and so many of the other Looney Tunes characters. He's from Scarborough and he's lived down in L.A. for about 20 years now and he does the voice of Bugs and all those. So worth going watching if you ever wanted to support mm-hmm. Canadian too, which is cool. Absolutely. Next on What the Hell Should We Watch This Weekend Gunpowder Milkshake.
3: Where have been for the last 15 years around making sure you're safe. Do terrible things to you girls. We're gonna bring the sky down on their heads.
1: Does your gunpowder milkshake bring all the boys to the yard, Steve?
3: <laughs> oh, that's a good riff on Kalice there. Um, <laughs> you know this. I wanted to love this movie so much. I watched it last night because it's now available for everybody to watch on Netflix. And, I mean, it's Karen Gillan, who I love. I've loved since uh, I first saw her on Doctor Who. And I just want her to succeed in everything. And especially this John Wick-type movie that's got her, Angela Bassett, Lena Headey, uh, Carlo giugino like, Paul Giamatti. It's got a really cool cast to it. But it feels like it's trying too hard for, like, a majority of the film. Like, the script is, like, just really cheesy and just... Every time they try to do something cool, it looks awkward and doesn't feel like it works. And as much as I wanted to will this movie to be great, it just isn't.
1: That's because it's not scary enough like Fear Street (laughs) Part 3, 1666.
3: The devil has come to feast on our misdeeds. And his darkness grows within each of us
0: our fear you know nothing good comes from those What's after sundown
1: what was that okay first of all nothing good comes when there's that music and you're walking by yourself mm-hmm. that is not good also um when you throw in an irish accent i think that's what it was it's yep. more scary
3: yep there we go and you know this is a conclusion uh to the ride that we've all been on i'm sure shane you included the fear street ride of the last three weeks and uh, I mean, we're going back to the origins of the evil that started uh, with Sarah Fear and everything. So it's the whole cast from the last two movies kind of like playing new characters in like this settler 1666 time era, which is a little slow for the majority of the film. But as soon as it kicks into that third act and you get your resolution of the whole series and we head back to 1994, this movie just kicks so much butt um tries some really original things and has a lot of like campy like darkly comedic fun at the same time um as a trilogy i i think that netflix absolutely rocked this these fair street movies and uh i want more uh they leave a little gap open for for more continuing this story but if they just do another anthology with under the umbrella of fear street i'm 100 percent game
1: Okay, so I was watching a movie where there was a minefield and a soldier was walking through the minefield and you just knew that somebody was going to step on one. That was scary to me, okay? This fear stream thing is... Uh, it's not all right. Okay, um, <laughs> Stebbing.ca. What the hell should we watch this weekend? Escape Room, Tournament of Champions.
2: Look, we all know how this works. We solve the puzzles or we die. False advertising must be pulled. This ad, yourself is missing an E. So maybe we pull the corresponding handles with a missing letter. Yes!
0: E. Same M&A. Anyway. M-A. Yeah! Come on, we don't have time! The missing letters are W, B,
1: and O! It's a game show turned into a movie.
3: Kind of, yeah. I mean, escape rooms have kind of been the um, group. Hotness for the last almost probably almost a decade now, people have been doing escape rooms. So a few years ago, the the horror uh the, the the horror producer decided to uh latch on to a fad and make their own movie. And I thought the movie was gonna be garbage and I didn't see it in theaters, and they finally sent it to me on Blu-ray, and I really dug it. I thought it was fun, inventive. The rooms that that are the that the uh, the players have to escape from and everything are really intricate and intriguing. And um, I'm hearing much of the same with this sequel, Tournament of Champions, which follows a couple of the characters from the last movie, as they thought that they have escaped, but they've just kind of moved into a new level uh, with other players joining them. And slowly they kind of realize that these players have been playing for a long time, too. And this is kind of the top tier of players right now in the like kind of final battle.
1: So when the movie's over and the credits roll, do they walk out of the strip mall and go get in their cars and just drive home?
3: Yeah, pretty much. But they have to take like the picture with the with the "I Survived" the escape room like plot yeah, right, and stuff. Or <laughs> like they, they, each one of them has a name and stuff. Yeah, yeah. On Blu-ray and DVD,
1: what the hell should we watch this weekend? With Steve Stebbing, Mortal Kombat
3: These are your champions.
0: I'm Sonya. That's Kano.
3: I'm Luke.
2: Name's Jax. The fate of Earth is in our hands. Wow,
1: I'm glad I feel safe.
3: Yes, yes. You know what? Sometimes you just need a big, violent, dumb movie to just uh, chuckle along with. And Mortal Kombat is that movie. It is it is big it is brash um and it doesn't take itself seriously for a second and i think that is kind of like a winning combination for the audience and i think it's the best that we've gotten out of a franchise that i i know players and fans of it have wanted something good and i I think this is it i i I would honestly like to see more if they're going to continue down this path
1: is it um is it like the game show like in the playfulness of it like or the game show the, the video game is it does it stay true to that yeah. stuff or is it just a movie
3: I think so I think it play, plays plays uh, more to the, the video game styling I mean the plot is very loose and it's sometimes ridiculous but I mean the big thing is we've always wanted like the good fatalities because that's like the biggest part of the video game and i think Ash they deliver M. on those yes exactly i think that they they deliver and i mean the two greatest characters are sub-zero and scorpion and i feel like they came through on those characters as well
1: very cool stuff all right uh next on the list street gang how we got to sesame street oh, it's I gonna stick in your head video. oh sorry
0: brendan that's okay. I'll do it again. Here we go. Okay, buddy. I yeah, love bye. the whole idea of taking commercial techniques and apply them to a show for kids. I was convinced that it would be impossible to do. One, two,
3: three, four, five. Jim Henson, Frank Oz, if they were on, you had a good day. We're the mm-hmm. best of friends. Yes. How many lines do you have? Three. Three. <laughs> well, try to get the first one better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Is it more, is it behind the scenes? Like, You know, we've, we've sort of chatted about yeah. it before. Is it kind of behind yeah. the scenes shows the behind the wizard's curtain?
3: It shows the the entire, the the creation of the show. Uh, it is like a beautifully nostalgic trip uh, to show how uh, the Jim Henson, uh, uh, crea- the, the Jim Henson company and the Children's Television Workshop came together to make like, uh like a a perfect melding uh, of education and entertainment that didn't pander it didn't talk down to any of the kids and it it just it gave them a sense of imagination for as well as well as being like grounded on like a street it's like a new york street that this all takes care uh, takes place on so it's like it's completely relatable especially to a certain generation
1: I'm very relatable because it felt like it was just your neighborhood these were just friends kind of hanging mm-hmm. out i mean so i don't know, you know what an
3: influence sesame street had with me in my life i mean the snuffleupagus yeah, me thing me
1: too little psychedelic right
3: <laughs> that he's imaginary i always loved that and i didn't learn like i didn't really like reflect on that until i was like an adult of what the implications of what that's all about uh yeah it was a little weird <laughs> All right, what else
1: should we watch this weekend on TV? McCartney 321. We were writing songs that were memorable because we had to remember remember them. them. How did this happen?
3: It was a question of me, John, or George
1: becoming the bass player. The two of them said, well, I'm not doing it.
2: When could you look back and realize what we did back then was really special? I
1: clearly remember when Ringo kicked in. It was like
2: wow he's really
0: good
1: now the hook Mm -hmm. what the beatles did for the hook of music is Mm -hmm. just probably the biggest influence all along i would say i know you're a big fan
3: oh absolutely i mean i'm a huge fan and i mean this is Uh, a six episode series that is uh, essentially beyond a documentary about Paul McCartney uh, from the Beatles through wings through modern to modern day uh, McCartney. But he's being um, interviewed by Rick Rubin, who is arguably the greatest producer uh, ever. Uh, And I, I don't even feel like that's hyperbole at all. If you know Rick Rubin's name, you know, his resume and you know what he means to music. So the fact that he's geeking out and fanboying out about one of the, uh one of the beatles like one of the part of the greatest band of all time uh and and getting to ask him questions and get deeper into the process and a lot of stuff even for beatles fans uh, is is new it is is paul mccartney relating stuff that he hasn't related uh to the public before so um yeah this is an absolute gem of a show and if you're a music fan of any capacity you're going to want to watch this series
1: Okay, so that one's available on Disney Plus, and my Mm -hmm. Apple TV is, like, my free one year is done. Mm -hmm. Should I renew it, or should I go and give Disney Plus a try? Because I've never tried it.
3: Um, Well, Disney Plus has Star now as part of it, so meaning that you get, like, the entire Fox catalog as well as uh, their television and everything. So I feel like that has opened up the service to be uh much more than it was before. Um unfortunately for Apple TV, more than what Apple TV is right now because there is they're they're a toddler right now. They're just trying they're just they're just learning to walk and everything. So there's I mean they're only in the second seasons of their shows right now. They're doing a lot of really great stuff. They just I don't feel like they have the movie catalog there yet. Um, but they will. Eventually, they will, and there'll be a powerhouse as well. But for right now, I would say Disney is the uh, Disney is the plus to go for. Uh,
1: the Greyhound was great. I don't feel like they've really mm-hmm. put anything new on there. I look forward to seeing some of the other things that Disney has to offer. Okay, yeah. Steve stepping.ca If you want to check out the blog and all the pieces of Steve's puzzle, it's there for you online to learn more about that. <laughs>